know that. So let's open with the word of prayer and we'll dig into the text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, as we go to your word right now. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Again, the words of man are a waste of time. We just pray that the word of God would go forth with power. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. by way of quick review, we know that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy is his son in the faith, if you will. He's not his biological son, but Timothy had traveled with the Apostle Paul during the second missionary journey. And Paul was now pastoring, or Timothy was now pastoring a church in Ephesus that Paul had helped to plant. And as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, a lot of times these pastoral epistles, first and second Timothy and Titus, a lot of times you think, well, I'm not a pastor, but these are these are minimum requirements for pastors, but it should be the heart of every Christian. Amen. And so the first thing we see is he tells him not to leave and tells him to stay. And that ought to tell you that he wanted to leave. And what you need to know is that pastors are people too. Did you guys know that by the way? Pastors are people too. And pastors can go through difficult times and pastors can get discouraged sometime. Uh, and you know what? Pastors are used to getting picked on. That's okay. We're, we got, we got thick skin. God made us that way. But, you know, sometimes they get, can get discouraged. And, uh, and so he's encouraging him, don't leave. I've shared this story that pastors who go out and plant churches, they would call Pastor Chuck after a year. They want to quit. He'd say, stay another year. Then they call after two years. They want to quit. He'd say, stay another year. After three years, they want to quit. Stay another year. They get to five or six years. They're finally ready to stay, right? And the reality is that he's writing this letter to encourage Timothy to stay. But then he's also going to encourage him on how the church should function. And he does this in a really practical way. He tells him to call out the false teachers. Uh, pray for me. This week, I've had a bombardment of false teachers. I had one guy that's from this cult who wanted to know if he could teach for me this morning. He said, I'm going to be in your area. I'd be happy to teach your church. I, I bet you would. Wolves love sheep. Can I get an amen? I said, yeah, I don't think so, bro. He, they don't, he rejects the deity of Jesus Christ. There's no way that guy's doing that. But we've got to call out false teachers also to correct false teaching. Then we talked about how the impact of God's grace is upon our lives. It enables us to minister to others. It transforms us into trophies of God's grace. He exhorted him to, to stand firm for the Lord. And then we saw how the church should reflect Jesus in the character of the people and in the content of the message. Remember in, in chapter three, he talked about the qualifications for a pastor, but those should be something that every Christian aspires to. Amen. And then he talked about the content of the message. The message is always Jesus, 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 and some more Jesus. Can I get an amen? And we depart from the word of God. Again, we have ceased to be a church. And then finally, last week, if you were here, how to be good, godly, and growing in ministry. A good God and growing minister is first preaching the word, then practicing the word, then progressing in the word. And as Christians, we should be able to share our faith and the hope that lies within us, but not only tell people what the word says, but we need to live it out loud, and we all should be continuing to grow in our faith. We've been justified at salvation, just as if we've never sinned. We're being sanctified molded more to the image of our Savior, and that doesn't end until the day that we're glorified. So all of us should be growing in our faith. Can I get an amen to that? Whether you've been saved a month or 50 years, you should continue to be growing. I just remembered Jack's 98th birthday was yesterday. Let's all say happy birthday, Jack. We love you, bro. Can I get an amen to that? Love you, Jack. We miss you. We wish you were here. We'll see you soon. But we should continue to be growing in our relationship with the Lord. So now as we come to this morning's text, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, continues to instruct Timothy, his son in the faith, on how the church should conduct itself. If you have your outline, grab it. And we're going to go through, the, we'll see if we get through the whole chapter. That may not happen. I've got a lot of pages of notes. If I run out of time, we'll stop. By the way, at the very end, we have a special treat. The children's ministry is going to come up and lead us in the last song. Won't that be sweet? I know no greater joy than know my children walk in the truth. Amen. So how God wants his people to be treated, I tell the message today. And it's important that we not only preach Jesus, but that we practice it. And it should be seen in how we minister to each other. And he's speaking to a pastor. So it's from a pastor's perspective. He's telling Timothy as the pastor, here's how you should treat people in the church. But again, I, it should be the way we all treat each other. Amen. 
So we're going to first see how those in leadership are to treat people uh, that they minister to, how to treat men, older men with respect, younger men as brothers, how to treat women, older men as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity, and then how to treat those who are in need and widows. This is a tough thing for churches. Some real practical stuff today. If we gave to everybody that called and asked us to give, we wouldn't have church next week. We would not have the ability to do anything else. And so there, we are giving and we do give and we want to give, but we want to give to the people God wants us to give to. Amen. And sometimes when you give, you're hindering someone's relationship with the Lord. And so we'll see some really clear qualifications, even for a widow, on how we should give to them. And it's, again, very practical for us. So after hearing, if we have time, how those in leadership are to treat the people, how are the people to treat those in leadership? Talking about how we care for them. You know, the Bible tells us that we should care for those who minister to us spiritually. We should help take care of them physically. This is going to sound kind of self-serving because I'm going to talk to you about how the people should treat the pastors. Now, in our case, all of our pastors here have jobs. We all have jobs. Uh, we, all, we do all get a small uh, housing allowance from the church. But we all have jobs. And so we're not preaching about us, but how we should treat people in ministry. Amen. And too often, we look at pastors like, again, like they're not real people, and they don't need to be ministered to at all, and, and that's just not the case. And then finally, how a pastor should identify leaders within the church without prejudice and laying hands on no man quickly. So let's begin there in verse 1, looking at how those in leadership are to treat people they minister to. First, how do they treat men? It says in verse 1 of 1 Timothy 5, Do not rebuke an older man. Paul is directing Timothy as a young pastor, that as he faithfully shepherds those that are older than him, and, and again, much if not most of the men in his church would have been older than him. You know, he told Timothy, don't let them despise your youth. Timothy was a young man. And so it's hard when you are a younger man ministering to older men. Now, this reminds me when I was an assistant at Calvary Chapel, San Jose. I was in my 30s, and my dad was the pastor over the seniors. And some of them were in their 80s, 90s. We had a few that were over 100. And I would go in, and, and some weeks we would do this. We would, we would switch. I would go teach the seniors, and my dad would go teach the teenagers. It was awesome. And, and we would just go do this. And, and, the, and the older people, the way that you, you still instruct them, you still teach the Word of God with boldness, but you need to show them the respect that they're worthy of. Can I get an amen to that? And the older women, you would always know when I went into teaching there, I would leave there covered in lipstick. Because all the old ladies would come up and pinch me on the cheek and pastor and kiss me on the face. And they're these little sweet old people. And you talk, I would talk to them like they're my grandmother. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't a time when someone who is older doesn't need to be exhorted and maybe even corrected. But he's letting Timothy know when you talk to them, treat them with respect. Amen? Has this generation lost that? We've lost that. I grew up with yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. Amen? And we were taught to treat our elders with respect and with honor. And he's telling young Timothy, Timothy, I get it. You've got older people in your church. Don't be afraid to preach to them. Don't be afraid to correct them if you need to. But correct them in the same way you would correct your dad. You know, pull them aside and do it gently with a, an attitude and a heart of respect. It does not mean you should water down the message so they don't get uncomfortable. Can I get an amen to that? We don't swing all the way over to that extreme. Well, I might offend somebody. If you don't get offended at least once during this message, you probably should find another church. Because cross of Christ is a stone of offense. Can I get an amen to that? It's, it should bring conviction. And as I tell you always, I've been convicted all week. You just get it for an hour. I get convicted too. We all should. So it doesn't mean he should water down the message, but the emphasis was on how to deliver it, to do it in respectful and a kind and a gracious way and treat those who are older, again, with respect that they are due. It says, do not, the word that rebuke is, we talked about this in 1 Timothy 3, it's, it's where that we get, the word is a striker. Don't beat people up. You know, people shouldn't come to church and get beat up. Now, again, convicted, yes, beat up, no. The church is a hospital, it's not a police station, amen? This is a place where we come to be healed and ministered to, and again, convicted, comforted, 
All those things are true, and it should not be something where you uh, are a striker, where you're harsh and heavy with your words. That should never be so. But exhort him as, notice what it says there, but exhort him as a father. The word exhort there is where we get the word parakletos, which is Holy Spirit. You know, where you get the word for the Holy Spirit. It means one who comes alongside, you know, to encourage an athlete. You know, someone who comes alongside somebody and encourages them in a loving and a gracious way. Just came to mind, I don't know if you guys saw, it was an Olympics sometime back, and one of the runners blew, a, blew his leg out halfway through the race, and his dad came down out of the stands and carried his son across the finish line. You guys remember that? And it was a pretty awesome moment as he was helping his son hop to the finish line. After four years of training, he blew his leg out. This man was weeping and his dad carried him. And that's the image I think of when it says, come alongside somebody. You're helping them. You're holding them up. You're not hitting them with a stick. Can I get an amen to that? So we preach the truth and we do it with boldness, but we got to make sure we do it with love. And again, for those who are older than us, let's treat them with respect. When you deal with an older man, come alongside him in love, with respect, and with grace, but do not shy away from your responsibility, he would say to Timothy, because you're calling to be a spiritual leader and deal with it and do it in love. Some of you know that when we planted the church in Santa Cruz, my dad left Calvary San Jose, where I had left from. Uh, matter of fact, I was teaching a message there on a Sunday, and I knew I was done. This is a very large church, thousands of people. And then while I was teaching, I just felt like the Lord told me, you're done. This is it. This is the last time you're teaching here. This is it. And afterward, a bunch of people got saved. I was talking to people, and I walked out into the foyer. My dad was waiting. He had tears running down his face, and he handed me this letter, and I've got it at home. It's a treasured possession. And it said, son, during the message today, God made it clear to your mom and I that you're done here. And that you're to plant a church, and wherever you go, we are to go with you and serve you. So my dad was my assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. He would set up chairs and make coffee, and he's one of the, he may be the best Bible teacher I've ever known, and he's serving me. Blown away. And when I would talk to my dad, he would call me, he'd say, son, you do understand you're my son, but you're also my pastor. I, I had a hard time grasping that. He would come and ask me permission to take my mom out to lunch. <laughs> hey, son, you think I could leave early for lunch today? Your mom's coming by. <laughs> yeah, dad, it's okay. <laughs> Someone would call him to teach at another church, and he would ask my permission. Hey, son, Calvary Fremont needs me to fill in up there. I told him I had to ask my pastor first. Dad, it's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. But the point I'm making is, it's understanding that level of respect that should take place in ministry, amen? And should take place, guys, we're a family, whether you know it or not, amen? amen. And you're gonna see that the way he compares the church is like family members. Treat the older ones like a father, the older women like your mom. Treat the younger ones like your brothers and sisters. And so because we are a church family, we should be kind and loving and gracious in the way we treat each other. A time when a Culturally, when a young man would never instruct an older man in anything, it's a, it's a necessity within the church. And I do think we've lost it with yes, sir, and yes, man. I have a new boss at work. Most of you know I have a full-time job. I sell advertising with the same company 32 years. And my new boss calls me sir. He's my boss. I'm older than him. And every time he addresses me, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. I'm like, you don't have to do that. He goes, yes, I do. I was taught to treat people with respect. And he calls me, sir. And you know what? I think that we need to get back to that. Can I get an amen? We need to have more respect for those who are older than us. It says in Leviticus, you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God, for I am the Lord. So Jack, we all want to honor you. We love you, bro. He's older than all of us. Anybody over 98 here? I didn't think so. So praise the Lord for Jack, amen? Then it says, younger men as brothers. The word brother literally means like a partner, a friend in the work of the gospel. Again, you could, see, you could speak to them in a more authoritative way. Those who had the greatest in impact on, on me as a young man did just that. When my dad was pastoring the church, my dad had pastored a church in Santa Cruz that had moved to Aptos and had gone away when I went back to plan a work there. And when I was attending that church, it was very much a younger church. And we did not have a youth group. So I never had a youth pastor. The first youth group, you group, you, the youth group I went to, I was the youth pastor. And so I'd never had a youth group before. So praise God for our youth group here, by the way. Can I get an amen to that? 
with Joshua and Doug serving those kids so faithfully. But there was a guy named Danny Lehman. He is now the head of Youth with a Mission. And he was one of my dad's assistants. And he would challenge me all the time. And I remember I was maybe 15 years old and I showed up at church on a Sunday morning and we were setting up chairs and he came over and said, hey, David, what did God show in your devotions this morning? Uh, whoops. Guess what? The next week when he asked that question, I had an answer. Can I get an amen? I would get up on Sunday morning. I'll get, I better read this because Danny's going to ask me and I need an answer. Amen. And you know what? We need people who are older than us who can speak into our lives. Can I get an amen to that? We need people who will love us enough. Do you know when I was in my 20s, I was still a youth pastor and Danny was at my parents' house and he looked me in the eye and he said, when are you going to get your other foot out of the world and start serving God full time and quit that job and go into the ministry full, full speed? This is the guy who was speaking into my life. And you know what? We need people who love us enough to tell us the truth even when we don't want to hear it. And look, I knew that Danny loved me. I knew that he cared about me. Um, and, and praise God for that. But we can be more direct and authoritative with them, but we don't lord it over them. You know, brothers, we're equals. You know, brothers and sisters, we're equals. Amen? And pastor does not, pastor's not here. Pastor's here. The people are here. The pastor's here. Pastors are servants. They're not to be served. They are to serve. Amen? And pastor means under rower. He's the guy in the bottom of the boat steering the ship. And so someone who's called better have the heart, first and foremost, that loves God more than anything, loves people, and is willing to serve. If you're not willing to serve, you should never lead. Amen? So he looks at his brothers and sees them not as someone to talk down to, but as a, a partner, a brother in Christ, someone who he can speak into his life. 1 Peter 5.3 says, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. Before I planted the church in Santa Cruz, Calvary Monterey, the pastor was thinking about leaving and they had me come down and meet with their elders and teach at their church to pray about if I would come take that church. And I remember talking to all the assistants and they were concerned about, well, we know where you serve now and the pastor's kind of like the dad and all the, other, all the assistants are kind of like kids. And I said, well, I don't feel like that's the way it should be. I feel like we're all brothers. We're all in this together. Amen? So we don't elevate ministry. We elevate Jesus. Amen. So how to treat men respectfully coming alongside men as fathers, younger men as brothers, not lording it over them. Verse two, how should we treat women? Older women as mothers, gently, respectfully giving them honor. There's something great about dads and praise God for dads, but boy, there's something really special about moms. Can I get an amen? My dad and I would have much more direct conversations than I would ever think about having with my mom. My mom is in her 80s and she's got Alzheimer's and she's on hospice and she's in a place I haven't been able to see her since March with COVID. But there's no one I want to respect more than her. She's my mom. And he's saying, that's how you should treat older women in the church. You treat them with great respect, giving them honor. Can I get an amen to that? And, and it may not be that way in the world, but it absolutely should be that way in here. And the people who should lead by example are those who are in leadership here. We should make sure that we treat them with respect. Again, we don't water down the message to them. We deliver it with the same loving care that a son would speak to his mother with respect and honor, again, due to her position and her age. But a young pastor should expect and appreciate some mothering from some of the older ladies in the church. Just like I said, the seniors kissing me on the cheek. And I appreciate that, and we need that in the fellowship. Then it says, younger women as sisters with all purity. Timothy, as any godly man, was to make certain his conduct toward younger women was always pure and above reproach. God put this on my heart years ago. I look at all the younger women in this church the same way I look at my daughter. And that is someone who is protective of them, who cares about them. I see them in that way. When I do pre-marriage counseling, I, I'm always much harder on the guy, ask anybody, because he's called to be the spiritual leader. And, I, and I'm, I'm not saying women are weaker. They're not. They're not. They're, the Bible says they're the, the, the weaker uh, of, of the sexes, but it doesn't mean they're less or less spiritual or less called. Can I get an amen to that? But they're to be treated differently. 
Right, guys? That's why when we have Godly feast, women go first. We need to learn to take a back seat and give the women the honor that it is due. But we need to treat women with all purity. And the reason that we do, now look, the church as it grows and the church in Santa Cruz got very large, you'd have guys coming to church to pick up on women. And I'll let them know this is Calvary Chapel, not the saddle rack. Can I get an amen? And we would be looking out for these guys. And so we need to treat women in our fellowship, the older women, treat them the way we would treat our mom, and the younger women, treat them like they're your sisters. Amen? And show them that respect and watch over them and care for them. Again, with all purity, not flirty, not inappropriate in any way. Again, this is speaking. I've seen pastors that are flirty. That's wrong. Amen? You should not feel awkward when your pastor's talking to you if you're a young woman. It should not be that way. It's unacceptable. And Paul is letting Timothy know. And again, not flirty or inappropriate. But notice, all these are family relationships because we are a family. You've heard you say it many times. Blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. Amen? You know, when we, have, when we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. If it's your first time here today, we already adopted you. As soon as you walked up that hill, you became a part of the family. Amen? So we're glad you're here. We hope you feel welcomed and loved, and we should treat you the way we would treat family. So how God wants us, his people to be treated, number one, we saw how to treat men. How to treat women. Again, older women, treat them with the same respect you would treat your own mother or grandmother. And then treat the young women, again, as sisters with all purity. By the way, let me just say this, because I feel led to. Uh, there are some men in this room who are looking at pornography, which makes you look at women in another way, and you need to stop it. Can I get an amen? And if you need to throw your computer out, whatever it takes, get rid of it. It's rampant. It's an, I sell advertising, and I know that they give us a list of the top sites, and the top sites that are viewed, uh, the top 10, eight of them are porn sites. So people are looking at that garbage, and I'm telling you, that devalues women. It devalues the way you look at all women. It devalues your wife if you're married, and it needs to stop. Can I get an amen? amen. So there needs to be all purity. We need to be men and women who walk in holiness before the Lord. Now, how to treat those in need? Again, this is a difficult one, and especially, you know, as our church gets older, we'll get more of it, but when I was in Santa Cruz, we had one of the larger churches in town, and the church would, the phone would ring at the church five times a day, all asking for help, and we want to help people, but, but who do we help, and who do we not help, and how do we know the difference? How can we do that? We want to be faithful to take the resources God's given us and use them for his glory. We want to minister to the people he wants us to minister to. But we also want to make sure that we're not propping up the wrong behavior. Amen? So let's take a look here. It says here, honor widows who are really widows. Now, what does that mean? Now, as we go through this, he's talking now, understand that in those days, there was no social security. There was no welfare. And the way that uh, when a widow lost her husband, she lost her ability to have income. And so they would literally take the widows and put them on the church payroll, where they literally paid them every month. And they took care of them, and they brought them in, and they made sure they were fed and clothed and cared for for the rest of their lives. So there needed to be qualifications. They didn't just take every person that was in that situation. But he's telling Timothy, how do you understand the difference between those you are to help? And he's not talking about giving someone a bag of groceries. You do that all the time. What I'm talking about is putting somebody in a situation where the church is literally supporting them ongoing. So those who were really widows were added to the number of those who received daily provision from the church. And there were certain qualifications that had to be met that they could be counted in that number, receive, receiving that daily distribution. You know, if you go back to Acts chapter 6, that's the whole reason that the, uh, deacons, were, the deacons were put in position. Because the, the, the elders of the church, the, the apostles, if you will, right, because the church was new, they were so busy trying to deal with this stuff that they raised up godly men. And part of it was because the Greek believers said that their widows were not getting their fair share in the distribution. And so they raised up Stephen and Philip and others who then took that over. So this was something that was a real thing that needed to be addressed. But how do we do it? And it does have application for all of us. Because do we give to the guy at the corner? Do we give to, the, to somebody you know, in our, that calls us up that just needs some help? 
We need to use some discernment because sometimes we shouldn't give to them because in giving to them, we're going to cause them to continue to stumble. You've heard me say this. I will give the shirt off my back to help someone do the right thing, and I won't give them 50 cents to help them do the wrong thing. Amen? Because sometimes when you give to those people, they need to come to the end of themselves. They need to, you know, they need to maybe go get a job. They maybe need to get their act together. Amen? And so we want to make sure that we're doing things in the right way. One of the challenges is that no church can supply every physical need or every request made by both those within the body and those who are on the outside. And we need to know when we should help and when we should not. And again, nor should we fulfill it because we may be getting in the way. So as a pastoral staff, one of our greatest challenges is discerning those who are truly in need. So here's some qualifications. And again, any pastor can tell you many, many times where you get calls. I got three this week. People calling up, never met them in my life. I need money. And, you know, I need, my, I need to pay my electric bill. Can you help? I need to pay this. Can you help? Sometimes they're a lot more blunt. I remember in Santa Cruz, a guy called me up. He was drunk out of his mind. He had passed out on the beach with his girlfriend. And he said, we blew all our money on drugs and alcohol. Can you pay to get us a ride home? Um, no. <laughs> but one of the ways that I qualified is if they don't go to our church and I've never met them, probably not going to help. And usually what I tell them is, if you want to talk about whether we can help you, come to church on Sunday and I'll talk to you after the service. Guess what happens? 95% of those people never show up. Because they, they, a lot of times they look at churches as a soft touch. And they won't just call one church, they'll call every church in town. And we may be helping somebody continue with their drug addiction or, their, or the problem that they're having when God wants to deal with them. Can I get an amen to that? So we need to use wisdom. I'm never harsh. I'm always loving. I'm always kind. Well, you know what? Why don't you come to church on Sunday and we can talk with the pastors afterward? Oh, I, I, you know, I, I can't make it. Okay. Well, you know where we are. Change your mind. Amen? So the pastor's calling is to exercise biblical wisdom and discernment when responding to people's requests for financial help. And again, I love the guidelines in this text. Now notice what it says here. But if any widow has children... Or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is a good and acceptable before God. Before the church, now keep in mind, this is not helping one time. This is putting someone on the payroll. They're saying before they should put someone where they're going to take care of their needs for the rest of their life, before they go to the church, they should go to their family first. That's the Bible. Amen? Now, as children and grandchildren, we should take care of our parents. Amen? They took care of us. Let's take care of them. I've had power of attorney for my mom. My dad died three years ago. I do her taxes. I pay her bills. You know, we, we make sure she's taken care of. My dad did a good job of setting finances aside, but if that runs out, it's going to be on the kids, and we're going to continue to take care of her because that's what God's called us to do. Amen? So the first thing we need to understand is, and I want to say this, in the Word of God, it never tells the church to take the place of the family. Do you notice that? I've had people come to me, when I was a youth pastor especially, they want counsel. I'd say, go ask your dad. If your dad wants to come back and ask me with him, because the pastors don't take the place of the husband as the spiritual leader in the household. Amen? I am not the spiritual leader in your household. Neither are any of our pastors. If you're the man here, you are. And the first place that instruction should come is from you, not from us. What happens on Sunday and Thursday should be gravy from what's happening at home. Amen? And so the pastor never usurps the authority of the parents or the husband. When my daughter first got married, she would call and ask me for, for advice. Have you talked to Kevin? Oh, I should talk to him. For, yeah, you're married to him. I, as much as I hated taking my hand out of, your hand out of mine and putting it in his, it's a done deal now. And I'm still here to help, and I still counsel them when they call, and I love on them. But, you know, they've been married 13 years, and she talks to her husband. And that's what she should do. Amen? Leave and cleave. Amen? Leave your father and mother and be joined to your wife. And you know what? Parents, butt out. Can I get an amen to that? If they come and ask for your help, give it. Other than that, shut it. Can I get an amen? Because you need to let them be a husband and a wife. And you know what? If that's true for you as parents, it's, it's true for me as the pastor. Amen? 
I'm not to get in someone and tell them what to do, how to live their life. Now look, if someone's living in open rebellion or they're openly sinning or something like that and we need to instruct them in a loving and a kind way as a brother or sister in Christ, okay. But we don't get involved in telling you how to run your marriage. That's unacceptable and it's not biblical. Amen? Again, only if it's way out of bounds and there needs to be instruction. So he's letting them know that it must first begin with how, in the home. We need to take care of the people in our own house first. Amen? And that's what godly men and women do. You know what? Sometimes people will come in and make demands of the local church that are unacceptable and they don't understand why. And they fall into the mentality that someone else should take care of you. Well, first of all, God's the one who takes care of you. And one of the ways he takes care of you is he gives you the ability to go out and work. Can I get an amen to that? And a man who does not work, as we'll see later, shall not eat. And as we'll see later, a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. And so we'd have men come to our church office and say, well, yeah, I took a risk. I, I invested all this money in this margin, and I lost it all, and now I need you to pay my mortgage for the next six months. Uh, bro, I think you're going to lose your house. You were gambling with God's money. You didn't do a good job of it. Guys who were out of work for a year and a half, and I didn't see them looking for a job, and they would come in and expect the church to pay all their bills. We had a food bank. Help yourself. Get some groceries. We're not, we're not, it's not our calling to make up for your mistakes. Can I get an amen? Now, again, if you got a guy in the church, we had a guy in the church, that, and usually the people that are easiest to give to are the ones that will never ask, and we give it to them anyway. Somebody who's serving in the church, we had a guy who fell off a ladder and hurt his back really bad. He was down for three months. We paid his mortgage. And he didn't ask for it. But he's a hardworking guy. Do you see the difference? We, we want to bless the hardworking, but we don't want to prop up the lazy. Amen? And, and we want to start with the family being the first place where the care comes from. And then after that, the church. Again, I had a buddy, I had a buddy of mine say this one time. He said, the church is not a bank. We have people call up and want to get loans from the church. Hey, I want to buy this car. It's 14 grand. I don't qualify. Can I borrow the money from the church and pay you back? Uh, no. <laughs> this is not Chase. This is Calvary Chapel. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and it's God's money, and we want to use it for his kingdom and for his glory, and we will minister to people who are hurting and in need. And if you can't afford a $14,000 car, there's a thing called the bus. <laughs> amen. Or you can buy a cheaper car. And I think mopeds still exist. Can I get an amen? So Paul's giving Timothy guidelines, and the first responsibility for the care of the elderly fell to the family to repay their parents for the way their parents cared for them. One of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. And it's the one with promise. It says if you do that, God will bless you and you will prosper. So the first question, can your family help? When someone comes in with a dire need, that's the first question we ask as pastors. Can your family help you? Do you have anybody in your family that can help you? Sometimes they don't have anybody, and maybe we do need to help them in a bigger way. And again, the church is never to weaken the family. So the widows, if they have family, if they have those that can care for them, that's the first place they go. Verse 5, now she who is really a widow and left alone, and trust in God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Who's really a widow? Somebody who's faithfully serving the Lord. Somebody who's been left alone. Her husband's passed away. Maybe she doesn't have any kids or grandkids. And now, But notice, it says of that woman, she faithfully serves in the church. She isn't just somebody who has a need. She's someone who has a need who serves other people. Amen? So when I get a phone call from somebody who doesn't go to our church and wants us to pay their mortgage and they've never been in our fellowship, guess what? The giving begins in the household of faith. Amen? And those who give are the easiest ones for us to give to. Those who serve are the easiest ones for us to bless. And when we don't know the circumstances, we can be giving, as I said already several times, to the propping up of their sinful behavior, continuing so they must have no family, no children, no grandchildren, no nieces, no nephews. They trust in the Lord, a woman of godly character. Again, uh, uh, someone who's a part of a local church. She's a woman of prayer. She's involved 
in the body. She's involved in our fellowship. Those helped by the church should be serving in the church. So real widow speaks not only of her circumstances, but of her character. She trusts God. She serves in the local fellowship. And again, they're the easiest people to give to. Look at verse 6. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. If a woman is a widow, but she's out partying, and she's out chasing after the things of the world, and her life is a mess because of choices that she's made, we can love them. Again, we'll certainly help with groceries or something practical, but we're not going to prop up that behavior. Amen? Now, that's not harsh. That's loving. Those who the Lord love, He what? He disciplines. And again, we need to love people enough to say, look, your behavior has consequences. If we keep taking the consequences away, the behavior will continue. Does that make sense? Everybody's going, I'm never calling the church to ask for anything ever again. Don't do that. I want you to know we do want to help people in the fellowship, but I want you to see God's own guidelines. Again, not one who comes to church for financial help so they can continue in their carnal lifestyle. Again, dead where she lives, she has no life or true joy in her worldly pursuits. Look at verse 7. and says, And these things command that they may be blameless. A good pastor will teach these things with boldness and clarity so that all who know, all know what's expected, that they may walk blameless. Guys, we should walk blameless, not hoping if down the road we need help, we can get help. We should walk blameless because that's what God wants us to do. Amen? As spirit-filled, born-again Christians, we should be living every day desiring to walk in holiness and faithfulness and obedience before the Lord. Blameless does not mean without, doesn't mean sinless, but it means without accusation from the outside, living a life in a way that brings glory and honor to the name of the Lord. Verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially from those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And not an amen came after that verse. I'm going to read that again. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And I want you to notice it says, he, he, he. Can I get an amen? Genesis chapter 3 says, a man will toil by the sweat of his brow all the days of his life. God has called you men to be the providers in your household. I'm not saying, if, depending on the circumstances of your life, your wife can certainly work. That's up to you. I, I would highly recommend if you've got small children at home and there's any way for her to stay home, do the best you can. Maybe you can't. But the point I'm making is your wife doesn't go out and get a second job because you're lazy. You should, I'm, I'm going to work three jobs before my wife has to work. Can I get an amen to that? And I think that's a biblical perspective. God's created us to, to carry a little more weight. Amen? And we should carry it so our wives don't have to. Amen? This is biblical. And he's letting them know. He said, you have left the faith. If you don't provide for your family, you've left the faith. Look, there's very few things from which I start to get righteously angry. Because I'm a pretty easygoing guy. But we'd have people come to our, especially in Sanders, guys would come in and they'd say, I need to talk to pastor because I need, I need five grand for blah, blah, blah. And they'd go, yeah, I don't think you want to do that probably not going to go well. I don't think so, bro. Uh, no. How long have you been looking for a job? How, 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 you know, my dad used to say, make a job out of getting a job. Amen? Amen? Spend as many hours trying to find a job as you did working at a job, and guess what? You'll get a job. Amen? Amen? Now, some people do side jobs. You do what you need to do, but you need to be the leader. You need to be the provider in your household. That's what God's commanded us to be. And boy, that verse doesn't get any heavier than that. It says, you have left the faith. It says there, you've denied the faith. You've denied your relationship with God if you will not provide for your family. And now about half the guys in here said, I'm not doing premarriage counseling with that guy, man. That's going to be rough. <laughs> you just got the first session right there. Where are you working, bro? You're providing for her? You're able to provide for her? The day you get married, you got a place for her to move in? You're going to be able to take care of her? You're going to pay her? You on it, bro? Yeah, she wants to work right now. Don't have kids? That's fine. Can you provide for her? If you can't provide for put off the wedding till you can. Can I get an amen to that? Sorry, guys. There it is. His own family. 
his wife, his children, and I believe in the context, his widowed parent. Amen? We need to care for those in our family. God's normal way of provision is not through the church, but through our own hard work. Now, guys, we work hard, but didn't God give us the ability to work hard? And didn't God give us the mind to be able to think, to be able to do the jobs that we do? So God has gifted us, so when we do it, God gets the glory because he gifted us to be able to do it. Amen? And men, you know what? You know, the Bible says, you know, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. There's a lot of laziness right about now. There's guys who have PhDs in, uh, you know, video games and couldn't buy their wife a cup of coffee if they got married tomorrow. Amen? That's got to change. And guys, dads, we need to instruct our children so they understand that. He's de- denied the faith. He is worse. Can you imagine? Is there if, if, worse than an unbeliever? Should that get our attention? Worse. You've denied the faith, and you're worse than somebody who rejects God if you will not provide for your family. That's heavy stuff, guys. I saw this spot on ESPN years ago, and there's a, there a young man, and he was bl- born blind and crippled, but he had the ability, he was really gifted on a trumpet, and I saw him playing his trumpet, and so when he, he wanted to go to college, and he wanted to play in the band, so his dad moved his job to graveyard, and his dad would take his son to school, and then his son was in the wheelchair, and when they would make the different letters, he had to run his son to all the spots on the field during halftime, and you see this dad running his son to all the spots, and then going to every one of his son's classes to help him, and then working all night, taking a two-hour nap, and getting up the next day and doing the same thing. You know what I call that? I call that a good dad. Amen? And we, we are so selfish sometimes. God gave us children to provide for them. God gave us men as wives to protect them and provide for them. And that's what a godly man does. And you know what? If we just acted like godly men, we wouldn't need a lot of the government things that are going around today. Amen? You know why there's so many problems? We have too many families where dads aren't there, or if they are, they're not acting like it. Amen? Amen. That's the exhortation right here in this text. Those who don't, not only that, you're a poor testimony. You know, I'd love to provide for my family, but dude, waves are six feet overhead, man. Couldn't do it. Providing for your family comes first. Amen? Comes for anything else. Verse 9, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. Where did that come from? So it's saying young women, if they're under 60... They can provide for themselves or have their families provide for them. So they're in a position where they're not old enough to where they can't provide for themselves, and they need to go out. And not only that, a lot of them were under 60. A lot of them could be in their 20s and 30s. Their husband may die. Most of them would want to get remarried. And so it's talking about younger women not being numbered amongst the widows where that church is just taking care of them for the rest of their lives because many of them, first of all, they can uh, continue to work. And also, they can get remarried. I read a commentator. I would never say this. He said, he said uh, if, if someone comes in needing help, you ask them their age. If they're under 60, you say, sorry, pal, get a job. <laughs> Notice it also says this, though. Under 60, and unless she has been the wife of one man. It means she needs to have been faithful to her husband. It, needs to mean, it means she needs to have been a godly wife. Now, again... These prerequisites are not to give someone a bag of groceries. I keep saying this, okay? This is where they were going to take care of this person for the rest of her life. And so because of that, what would typically happen if these women that the church was taking care of, they would work at the church. They would be there praying, be there ministering to people, be there serving, and then the church would basically make sure they were fed and clothed and had shelter and everything they needed to survive. And so, of course, you don't want someone serving in the church that doesn't really walk with the Lord, and we don't want someone who's been promiscuous and hasn't been faithful to her husband to be in a leadership role in the church. Amen? And that's why this exhortation is here, faithful to her husband, a godly wife before she was a widow, a woman who respect for marriage and family, and again, if not in the number, having influence on the body. We don't, they don't want them there. Verse 10, well reported for good works, she's brought up her children, she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she's relieved the afflicted, if she has been diligently followed every good work. Wow. 
His qualifications are getting kind of heavy, aren't they? What is it saying? She's a godly woman, and she lived like it. Look, I know I'm biased. I read this list, and at first I thought, oh, there's not a lot of people that would qualify for that. You know someone who does? My mom. I grew up in a house where there were almost always people living in our house that were not related to us. We never locked the front door to our house. People were always welcome. I would come home from school, and there'd be six hippies sleeping in the living room. And my mom said they needed a place to stay. And they would always feed, she was always cooking and always feeding. If I, if there, I, my mom was a team mom for every school, every, my classroom mom for every classroom. She was that mom that was actively, took a part in my life. And she was always serving others. She taught in the children's ministry at church. She went and got the Baptist church I went to, to invest in a bus, and then went through all the neighborhoods and told them, we're going to come by on Sunday and pick up your kids. And my mom went out and got a license to drive a bus so she could drive the bus through the neighborhoods and pick up all the kids and then teach them at church. That's a, that's a Proverbs 31 woman right there, amen? Not perfect. None of us are. But there are those who faithfully serve, and the church should care for them. But again, even though my wife, my mom could be in that number, her family needs to take care of her first, so that's what we're doing. Does this make sense? We tracking with this? This is so practical. But pastors need to hear this because it's one of the hardest things. She brought up her children. She was a, a good and faithful mom. She also could refer to raising up of the children of others as well. She didn't abandon her kids. She had educated them, loved them, and served them. She would lodge strangers. She was given to hospitality. She washed others' feet. She was willing to serve. She received those who were sick. And she diligently followed every good work. It almost feels like nobody's qualified for this, but there are people who are. Amen? So you read through this, and all of a sudden you're getting a phone call from somebody who's drunk on the beach wanting money, and they don't really come anywhere close to this. Amen? And we need to be careful. Again, be gracious. Look for opportunities. Pray for divine appointments. It says, but refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. See, don't, if you have a younger widow and you put her in this position... When she's 30, you know, a couple years of that and serving at the church and being careful by the church, she may want to get married someday. And he's saying, look, they should not be in that position. They should not be taken care of for the rest of their life. They have a lot more life to live. And there are other things, again, that she's called to do. You know, the emotion of the loss commits uh, to remain unmarried and serve in the church. But some years can go by and she may start feeling like she wants to be married again. And so don't, because once they put them in that position, they were there for life. And they were called to serve for the rest of their lives. So it's important, again, to make sure that we qualify who we give to. Now, again, I'm not saying every person you give $5 to has to qualify for this list. Amen? But it should be an understanding of how we should faithfully use God's resources. This is having condemnation because they cast off their first faith. Again, if you bring young women in, they'll feel guilty that they failed, would feel condemned because after a while they would want to remarry. Verse 13, and besides they learned to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not. When you take care of somebody's every need, they don't have a reason to get up in the morning. Amen? And, when and, and even though it's not in the Bible, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Can I get an amen to that? When you have too much time in your hands, you tend to do some, you know, again, unless you make a conscious choice to invest in the, etern in the eternal and serve in a way that brings glory to the Lord and serve in your local church or be involved in something, you know, involved that way, too much time on your hands is not good. Free from labor, at leisure, lazy, a young idle woman in this case can become a gossip. And again, idle hands are really idle minds. And it becomes the devil's workshop. They go around gossiping, talking about other people's lives. You know, the one thing about serving in ministry, you know a lot about people. You know a lot about people. You know, God gives me supernatural amnesia. Because I will, someone will tell me something heavy, I'll counsel them, I'll pray with them. And then six months later, they'll bring it up and I've forgotten all about it. And, and you know, when you serve in ministry, you should not be somebody who tells, talks about anybody else's struggles. Can I get an Amen. Oh, I'm going to just use it as a prayer request. Pray for Brother Joe. He's a nightmare. Here's what's going on with him. That's just a prayer request. I'm just sharing this with you. a prayer request. We need to pray for him. He's a nightmare. Let me tell you all about all his struggles in detail. That's gossip. That's not prayer. Can I get an amen? We, we need to be building each other up and holding up each other's hands. Amen? Not tearing each other down. By the way, in case you didn't know it, everybody in here is a sinner. 
And nobody's family in here is perfect. Can I get an amen? People say, oh, yeah, look at them. They're perfect. And their family's perfect. And our family has sinners in them, and so do they. Amen? And we need to be holding each other's hands up and encouraging one another again and not saying things we ought not. Look at verse 14. It says, Therefore desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, and give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Notice what it says about younger women when they get married. They give their strength to those God-ordained activities of being a godly wife and mother, marrying again, bearing children, and managing their home. Now, let me say this. I get it. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. But I want to tell you something. If you're listening to the world that tells a, a woman who becomes a mom that, well, you know, that's not very satisfying, and how, where are you going to find fulfillment, and you're not contributing to society? Let me encourage you right now. The greatest thing a woman can do is be a godly mom and raise Christian kids in a godly home and teach them about Jesus and raise them in it. Can I get an amen to that? That's the greatest thing you can do with your life, and that should never look, be looked down upon, and certainly not in the church. Amen? So when you get married, ladies, when you're getting married, look at a man and say, are you, if I want to stay home and raise the kids, are you good with that? If he's not, keep walking. Amen? And I'm, I'm not saying, again, when you're first married, you don't have children, you both want to work. I get it. But I, and maybe when the kids were all growing up. You know, my wife was home with our kids, and then she worked at the schools, wherever school they are. Now she works at a school with kids because we got grown kids. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I just want to and I get it that maybe we live in California. It could be expensive, and she might need to work a little bit to, make, to help meet the bills. But before she takes a job, I'd say, you go get another one, a second one. Can I get an amen? I'm old school. I get it. But I think it's biblical. And notice it says, give no opportunity for the devil. Because, again, if the, if the woman is in a position where she's not caring for her family, she's not remarrying, then, again, she could fall into the trap of just being someone who's cared for by the church and loses sight of what's really important. And, again, it, it, when, when, a, when a godly mom doesn't raise her kids in a godly home and doesn't make that a priority, we have a problem. I don't share a lot of this stuff, but my first, I think it was my first or second date with my wife, I let her know, you know, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm looking, I want a woman who wants to have kids and raise our kids in a godly home and be a mom, and if you're good with that, great, and if not, we probably don't need to talk anymore. And she said, that's all I've ever wanted, and boy, that worked out, thank you, Jesus, amen? But it gives Satan no starting point from which to attack when you've got, because your kids need to be able to look at their mom and see what a godly mom looks like, what a godly woman looks like, Amen? Be an example for your children. Be a helpmate to your husband. It says, for some have already turned aside after Satan. Some of the young widows had already given in to their fleshly desires and temptations of idleness, tail-bearing, some of them their sexual passions, and warnings to all the widows as to why they should heed the counsel concerning godly character, the calling to marriage, motherhood, and managing the household is because when we don't, that idle time can draw us away from the Lord. Verse 16, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. So if a younger widow is in your family, Lord forbid you have a son and a daughter-in-law or whatever and her husband dies or whatever, you take her in, you care for her, and you serve her, and you minister to her. And, it's, and he's saying, look, because the church needs to be able to take care of those who have no other option. Does that make sense? If we're caring for those that we can care for, it gives the church the ability to care for that nobody else can care for. Does that make sense? And that's biblical, and that's what the Word of God teaches us. So, how, pastors, how leaders were to treat people, how to treat men, how to treat women, and how to treat those who are in need. And again, I don't want it to sound like we don't give because we do, and it, we don't necessarily hold this standard every time someone needs groceries. We certainly will, will make sure people are fed. We don't want anybody here starving. Can I get an amen? We don't want anybody. If you fellowship here and this is your church, I promise you, we won't let you start. Amen? We will all empty our fridges to take care of you, and that's the way the body of Christ should operate. Amen? This was talking about making a commitment to take care of somebody for the rest of their lives, but their guidelines for us to follow. Now, 
Point number two, how the people are to treat those in leadership and to minister and those who minister to them spiritually. Look what it says here. This is going to sound self-serving, but this is when you teach verse by verse through the Bible, you teach the whole counsel of God. Amen? And if you come to Calvary Chapel, you know that we don't even pass an offering here because we don't want people to tip God. We only want people to give when they feel called and led to give, and they can do it as an act of worship. Amen? Here's what it says. Let elders who, be, who rule be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and in doctrine. Pastors and elders most remember that you're dealing with people, and pastors and elders are not superhuman like you might think, and they have a calling to lead and minister to others uh, with their lives. And they still experience hurt and trials and difficulty. And as a body is ministered to by them, so they need to be ministered to by the body. As those who feed you spiritually, you should make sure that they're fed physically. Now, again, I'm not really talking about the pastors here. Could be down the road someday. But I'm really talking about is there are churches where the pastors are full-time at the church. I've been an elder at churches, and my dad, growing up in my dad's house, we were the poorest people I knew because my dad was a pastor, and I, I got my dad's, my dad died, his tax returns. In 1968, he made, he was making $311 a month, and we would always run out of food, and there was a mentality sometimes, there's two extremes with pastors. They need to learn to, to sleep in a dungeon, eat out of a food bank, and uh, their kids, you know, should be begging for hand-me-down clothes from everybody else in the church and have the church think they're doing them a favor. And then you got pastors over here that think this double honor means take the guy who's making the most money in the church, double it, and then pay him that. And he's flying around in a Learjet. Those are both wrong. Can I get an amen? Whenever I, in Santa Cruz, when I set the, the salaries of my assistant pastors, Nobody's getting rich, and most, almost every pastor I know, when they take a job as a pastor, they make less money. They're walking away from more money to make less money, but they should be able to take their family on a vacation. They should be able to buy their children shoes. Amen? They shouldn't have to work another job on the weekends after doing 70 hours a week at the church to make sure that uh, you know, their, their kids can go to camp in the summer. And again, there's a, there's a balance, and my heart has always been that the pastors should be living at the the middle standard of the church or below, but, but make sure they're taken care of. Amen? And when I had, had a full-time job and I was an elder at several churches before I became a, you know, I was an assistant pastor, I would always make sure that our pastor was cared for because he's laboring in the Word at night when you're sleeping. He's preparing. He's available 24 hours a day. His phone rings all day and all night, and he's available to minister to you. And, he's, and he labors over the word, and he takes his calling seriously. And you know what? That's a high calling. And you know what? We should bless people like that. Can I get an amen? And, I, and I'm just saying this from a heart because that's what the verse says. There, especially those who labor. The word labor literally means to study to the point of exhaustion. And I want to tell you, if you've ever taught a Bible study before, and if you've taken it seriously, you know what I'm talking about. A little brother called me one day because he had his first time preparing a Bible study. This was maybe five or six years ago. And he goes, Dave, dude, I just want to, I just want to apologize to you. I go, what? He goes, you do that twice a week every week? Every week? And you have a full-time job? How do you do that? I go, it's the Lord, and it just, you know what? It's, it's a get to, not a have to. Can I say amen to that? Amen. It's a joy. But when people do it, we should bless them and not treat them like second-class citizens. So the elders, we've talked about this. Elder, elder, bishop, and pastor is the same guy. Elder describes who he is. He's spiritually mature. Bishop describes what he does. He's an overseer. And pastor describes how he does it. He is a shepherd and someone who ministers to the flock. So again, there are false teachers in Ephesus. There were problems that were taking place there, and he was letting them know that you make sure the pastors are taken care of. Because look, even animals are taken care of. Look at verse 18. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Now, here's what would happen. They would tie a, uh, an ox to a post, and he would go around in circles, and he would be treading out the grain. And what would happen is he would step on the grain, it would, it would crush the good part of the grain, and it would sink to the bottom, and then it would just break off all the other pieces. Then they would take it over, and they would flip it in the air, 
and all the chaff would blow away and the seed would remain. And it said, and as that, that ox is walking around in circles all day long, you don't put a muzzle on him so he can't bend down and eat something. And it's saying, you know, if you take care of an ox, you should probably take care of your pastor. Amen? Make sure that he can at least eat, that he's not just feeding everybody else while his family's starving. And again, this is in the Bible for a reason, because there's two ways that this is abused, where pastors are living like celebrities, or they're living in the poorhouse, and I don't believe either one of them is right. You know, most pastors, though, if you pay them nothing, they'll do it anyway. They'll just do it anyway, and they'll go out and work two jobs and do it anyway. And you know what? God bless those guys, but that's not right. Amen? It's not the way we should treat people. The word honor there refers, again, to supporting him financially. It refutes the thoughts of many who think that, you know, people love it. They tell me this all the time. You know what I like about your church? You have a full-time job, and I think that's great. I think it's great, too. I love having a full-time job, and I plan on working until I go to heaven because I, love my, I see my job as a ministry and a mission field, and I love it. But that doesn't mean the guy who's working full-time is wrong because it's biblical that he can. Amen? He's laboring in the Word. You know what's amazing? People, a lot of people want the pastor to make a dollar a month, and then they want him to study 80 hours a week and be prepared and make sure he's available 24 hours a day, but make sure he's a good husband and a good father to his kids and he's providing for them all at the same time, and then they want to chastise him when he doesn't do all those things. And again, that is not this fellowship at all. Amen. But I'm just sharing this with you because it's in the Bible, and we need to be careful. And again, neither extreme is good. The one where they, they're treated like, you know, they're not, they're not shown honor or where they're honored too much. Amen? And again, those who labor in the word, the word again, labor there is to grow weary, tired, exhausted. But you know what? If we're going to be exhausted, it's good to be exhausted studying God's word. Amen? It says in 2 Timothy, study to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word workman there is a toiler, those who labor, again, to exhaustion. So Paul quotes from both the Old and the New Testament. First, he talks about the ox and then and tells us that, hey, you know what? We make sure that they're taken care of and we should do the same. Quotes out of Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, the muzzled ox. And then he says at the end of that, the labor is worthy of his wages. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 11, where it tells us that we are to care for those physically that take care of us spiritually. And I want to say this, a pastor is not greedy for money. And there's three things that disqualify a pastor most often. You ready? Here's what they are. I've known too many friends that get disqualified. Pastor Chuck, every time we had a senior pastor conference before he went to heaven, his first message was always the same. Touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the glory. Can I get an amen? So most guys who are disqualified, it's, they, they commit adultery, or they've got their hands in the money, the financials of the church. By the way, uh, I don't count the tithes. I don't look at the tithes. I don't want to because I don't want to even have in the back of my mind who gives and who doesn't because I want to love you all the same. Does that make sense? I, don't, I know the whole amount. Mike's our bookkeeper. We have accountability. We do everything as unto the Lord. It's all God's money, and we want to be good stewards of it. Amen? And if you ever wonder where it goes, we're on five radio stations. This little church is on five radio stations. We get calls every week from people all over the country that are blessed because you guys give. One of the guys' name is Gary, and he, uh, Greg, excuse me, he calls me every week. He's a blind man who lives in Ventura and tells me, please tell your people thank you because there's a blind guy at 3.30 every day gets to listen to verse-by-verse teaching because those people who don't know me give to the kingdom of God. So God bless you guys. Amen. So we want to make sure we're good stewards of what we've been given. We want to be faithful to it, and we want to make sure that we're taking care of the people who are in need. So pastors don't go into ministry to live lives of luxury. They do it out of calling. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except by two or three witnesses. I don't think I'm going to finish the chapter, so don't panic. Next, let me go through verse 20, and we'll stop there. Do not receive an accusation. You know what that means? Don't even listen to it. It doesn't say receive it, think about it, mull it over, and decide if you're going to spread it. It says just don't receive it. And here's the reality. Again, I'm not worried about accusations being made against me or other pastors. We all know it's going to happen. It's part of being in ministry. It just is. But what breaks our hearts 
is when somebody you know that knows you doesn't come to you with it, but tells other people about it, and then it causes harm to the cause of Christ. That's the part that breaks our hearts. Does that make sense? Talk about me all you, I don't care. That's between you and the Lord, and God knows. I'm fine. I'm, God made me this way. It's okay. But we need to be, be careful not to receive accusations, because does the devil want to split up our church? Does he want to divide Christians right now in the country? Can I get an amen to that? And you got Christians fighting with each other about mask or no mask or whatever, right? And people are fighting. And you know what? Let's, let's focus on Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? And let's not allow ourselves to be divided. Finally, verse 20, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Here's what that says. You show pastors double honor. You don't receive accusations about him without two or three witnesses. But if he's guilty, bring him up in front of the whole church. See, this is a warning for pastors. Let not, the Bible says, let not many of you be pastors. Why? Because you're held to a higher level of accountability on Judgment Day. And I want to tell you something. Every pastor I know takes that to heart. All week when you're studying and when you get up to teach God's Word, you know you're going to be accountable, so you want to make sure you're doing it for the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? And so the exhortation here is, let's take care of those who take care of us spiritually. Let's not listen to gossip about them and talk bad about them. We shouldn't even listen to gossip about anybody in the fellowship. Amen? Someone starts to talk about somebody else. If you talk to them, go talk to them. I don't want to hear it. Go talk to them. Amen? Shutty town. Take it to someone else. Go talk to somebody else. And, and we need to make sure that, again, if we have been, it says of the pastors, we're all sinners saved by grace. And we're, not, we're, we're, we're far from perfect. And we're not uh, somebody who can just do whatever they want and not be held accountable. If I get out of bounds, hold me accountable. Can I get an amen? If any of our pastors are out of bounds, hold us accountable because the Word of God says to hold them accountable. Next week, we'll look at how to identify leaders in the church. We'll go into chapter 6. Let's close a word of prayer, and we'll go ahead and bring the kids on up. They ready? Bring them on up. Let's close a word of prayer, and we're going to have our, our, our last song be the kids and our children's ministry. Man, do I love that. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, for your Word. We thank you for the practicality of today's chapter. Lord, I pray it would minister to all of us. May we be kind and loving and gracious and giving to others. May we treat those older than us with the respect that they deserve. May we treat those our age and younger like our own family members with kindness and love and grace. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would give faithfully to those who are really in need, who are faithfully serving you. But Lord, give us wisdom to know when we're not to give so that we don't give to somebody that continues on in their sinful behavior. And then, Lord, we do pray also. We thank, I thank you for the pastors who serve here. I thank you for all, my, all the guys who serve here. I thank you for those who just are so faithful to use the gifts they've been given. I thank you for the time and the effort they put in. I thank you for their wives who serve alongside them and their faithfulness as well. And, Lord, we just pray that you would bless them as they bless us, as they serve us. And I pray that for all the other pastors in the Caneo Valley and around the nation. Lord, I pray you just pour out your spirit upon them and encourage them today in a time when they may be discouraged. Lord, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said...